Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Garrett Schramm, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. Dual antiplatelet therapy, or DAPT, following percutaneous coronary intervention in both acute coronary syndrome and stable ischemic heart disease is the standard of care to reduce the risk of post-intervention cardiovascular events. But growing concerns have been raised on the increase in bleeding events associated with prolonged DAPT therapy. And much of the rationale for current guideline recommendations is derived from trials conducted before the implementation of newer generation stent technology. Here to help us choose a smart date to stop DAPT is Dr. Kyle Hess, who will compare various shortened duration DAPT strategies to the current standard duration of DAPT therapy. Most healthcare professionals know that discharging a patient on dual antiplatelet therapy or DAPT is standard of care for patients presenting with coronary artery disease. I think that if I ask most of you in the audience how long DAPT should be continued after a patient has a stent placed, the most common answer I would get would be 12 months. This is a dogma in medicine that we've all been trained to follow and is also supported by the current American College of Cardiology guidelines. But how many of you actually know where that recommendation comes from? Is it possible there's an alternative strategy that could actually lead to better patient outcomes? Today, I'm gonna to be encouraging you to challenge that dogma as I walk you through the massive amount of literature published within the past 10 years, looking at this idea of reduced duration DAP. My objectives for you today are to be able to describe current guideline recommendations for duration of dual antiplatelet therapy following percutaneous coronary intervention or PCI. I also want you to be able to compare and contrast various strategies, including the agents available to you, as well as be able to select an appropriate duration of therapy if you do choose to utilize shortened duration DAP. Before we dive into the evidence, we're gonna to have to start out by understanding some basic definitions, starting out with what is coronary artery disease. Coronary artery disease can be divided into two buckets, stable ischemic heart disease and acute coronary syndrome, which I will now be referring to as ACS. Stable ischemic heart disease includes patients who have a history of ACS and have gone at least one year without recurrence, and also patients with stable angina, which might be characterized by chest pain brought on by exertion, which is relieved with rest. ACS, on the other hand, is typically differentiated by the presence or absence of ST segment elevation, with an ST segment elevated MI typically indicative of complete coronary artery occlusion, whereas non-ST elevated ACS is typically indicative of narrowing of the coronary vessels leading to supply demand mismatch and can be further divided into unstable angina or non-ST elevated MI, which is typically characterized by presence of troponins indicating damage to the myocardium. Coronary artery disease can be treated a few different ways. In uh, patients with less severe disease, sometimes they will be managed medically without any intervention, whereas other patients will require revascularization with either PCI or coronary artery bypass graft. The focus of this presentation will be on strategies for patients undergoing PCI, and some of the strategies we talk about won't necessarily be applicable to patients undergoing cabbage or are being managed medically. So what is the rationale for dual antiplatelet therapy following PCI? Well, in the acute phase, 
platelet aggregation can lead to growth of the thrombus and dual antiplatelet therapy can help reduce some of this thrombus burden. During the procedure itself, you can see damage to the coronary artery vessel walls, as well as disruption of plaque, which when combined with platelet aggregation can lead to side branch occlusion and worsening ischemia. And dual antiplatelet therapy can help mitigate some of this procedural damage. And finally, most of us are, are aware of the risk of stent thrombosis in both the early and late stages after stent placement, which is one of the primary reasons we continue to opt after the procedure. But the question remains, what is the optimal duration of dual antiplatelet therapy? On this slide, I have the American College of Cardiology guidelines. You can see our patients are divided into their two buckets, with ACS patients have a recommendation for a minimum duration of at least 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy. Whereas patients with stable ischemic heart disease undergoing drug-eluting stent placement have a recommendation for at least six months of dual antiplatelet therapy, and in the rare occasion where you might see a bare metal stent, you can get by with just one month ADAPT. You also see this caveat that in high bleed risk patients, you can, continue, you can consider early discontinuation of the P2Y12 agent and continuation of aspirin monotherapy at about the halfway point. Due to some of the evidence that has been published within the past few years, there's been a 2021 guideline update that also adds in this recommendation to, cons to consider switching to P2Y12 monotherapy after one to three months ADAPT. What's interesting about this recommendation is in contrast to the class 2B recommendation to consider dropping the P2Y12 inhibitor at the halfway point, this isn't specific just to patients at high bleed risk. So we're left with these kind of conflicting recommendations for 12 months of DAPT versus one to three months of DAPT. And this got me curious, where did the stronger recommendation for the 12 months of DAPT actually come from? To figure this out, I went through previous iterations of the guidelines. Back in 2011, the guidelines actually recommended 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy for all patients, and they had similar recommendations in the 2009, 2007, and 2005 guidelines. And what I found is this initial recommendation was actually based off of two studies in the early 2000s, PCI Cure and Credo. These trials compared a shortened duration of DAPT of about one month of dual antiplatelet therapy to a longer duration of about 12 months. Before we dive into the outcomes, we're going to need to understand that deciding on the optimal duration of dual antiplatelet therapy is going to revolve around balancing bleed versus ischemic risk. Bleed risk in trials is typically uh, classified as either major or minor bleeding, and the type of bleeding is often characterized by the Timmy or Bark classification systems, which I'll be going through quickly in the next slide. Ischemic risk, on the other hand, is typically characterized by a composite outcome of MACE, or major adverse cardiovascular and cerebrovascular events. This is a composite endpoint that typically includes outcomes such as death, stroke, MI, and in some trials it includes outcomes such as stent thrombosis or the need for revascularization. Newer studies have started to look at the combined bleed and ischemic risk in a composite endpoint called NACE, or Net Adverse Clinical Outcomes, and this is typically just a combination of the primary bleeding and primary ischemic endpoint. On this slide, I have the Timmy and Bark classification systems. You can read the specific definitions in the tables, but for simplicity's sake, I want you to think of clinically relevant minor bleeding as Bark type 2 bleeding or Timmy minor bleeding. And I want you to think of clinically major bleeding as Bark type 3 or 5 bleeding or Timmy major bleeding. So, what did our early 2000s trials found, find? PCI Cure found that a reduced duration of one month of DAPT was associated with a significant increase in death, MI, and revascularization with a number needed to harm of 30. 
to give you an idea of what a good number needed to harm or number needed to treat is like in this patient population, the trial that initially looked at adding clopidogrel to aspirin monotherapy following PCI had a number needed to treat of 27 for MACE outcomes. PCI cure also found only a marginal benefit in bleeding outcomes with no significant difference in major bleeding and a marginal improvement in minor bleeding with a number needed to treat a 72. Credo found similarly poor outcomes with reduced duration DAP with a significant increase in death, MI, and stroke at one year with a number needed to harm of 34 and actually no significant difference in either bleeding outcomes. So based on the findings of these trials, I think I too would recommend a duration of 12 months of DAP therapy. But these trials were conducted 20 years ago. A lot has changed in medicine since then. One of those things being the evolution of stent technology. Around the 1990s, we first started seeing use of bare metal stents. One of the primary issues with bare metal stents is a relatively high rate of restenosis or re-narrowing of the coronary vessels. To address this issue, early generation drug-eluting stents were introduced. While these stents did fix the problem of restenosis, it also introduced this problem of late thrombosis. And this is probably the era of stents where 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy was probably the most beneficial. However, in the 2010s, we started seeing introduction of later generation drug-eluting stents, which further reduced rates of restenosis and also decreased rates of late thrombosis compared to early generation drug-eluting stents. I will note, there, that there is newer stent technology called bioresorbable stents. And initial data has shown a potential increase in late thrombosis compared to second-gen drug-eluting stents. So a lot of that, the data we'll talk about today is in patients who underwent placement of second-gen drug-eluting stents. And some of this might not be applicable to patients who get bioresorbable stents. On this slide, I have an image illustrating bleed versus ischemic risk in patients in the time following PCI. What you see now for ischemic risk is what it might look like for a patient who got a first-gen drug-eluting stent, where for about 12 months after stent placement, the ischemic risk seems to outweigh bleed risk. However, in our later generation stents, the ischemic risk might look something more like this, where you see a bulk of the ischemic risk in the first three months. And after that, the scales might tip and bleed risk might actually start to outweigh ischemic risk. So now we're left with the question, is 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy still the optimal duration? Before we dive into some of the evidence, we're gonna move into our first Pull Everywhere question. You can respond by using the Pull Everywhere app, going to pullev.com slash mayorx, or texting mayorx to 22333. The question is, based on your current understanding of the ACC guidelines, what duration of dual antiplatelet therapy would you recommend for an ACS patient undergoing PCI, assuming they're at a standard bleed risk and standard ischemic risk? Would you choose one month, three months, six months, or 12 months? And it looks like a majority of the audience is choosing 12 months, which based on our current guidelines, I think I would agree with the primary class one recommendation for ACS patients to receive a minimum duration of at least 12 months adapt. Since our patient wasn't at an elevated bleed risk, I think six months would be wrong, but you could always consider a one to three month duration due to this new class 2A um, guideline recommendation. With that being said, we're now going to shift into the evidence showing that this reduced duration of dual antiplatelet therapy might actually be more optimal for some patients compared to the standard 12 months adapt. I want you to imagine that a provider approaches you saying they want to discharge a patient on a reduced duration of dual antiplatelet therapy, and they want to know your specific recommendations as far as a regimen. Some different things you'll have to consider is what P2Y12 agent do you want to use? How long do you want to continue DAPT? 
And when you de-escalate to monotherapy, do you want to go with a P2Y12 monotherapy or aspirin monotherapy? When you start to think through it, you realize there's a lot of options available to you. Do you want to do a clopidogrel-based apt and de-escalate to aspirin monotherapy? Or maybe you want to de-escalate to clopidogrel monotherapy instead. Alternatively, you could do a ticagrelor-based regimen. Or there's some studies just looking at any P2Y12-based agent de-escalated to aspirin monotherapy. And what about a duration? Do you want to do six months, one month, maybe somewhere in between at three months? There's studies available to us looking at all of these various strategies. And unfortunately, there's no head-to-head -head data to be able to definitively say that one strategy is better than another. So back when I was initially thinking through how I would decide what I would recommend, it was about the middle of March. So the first thing that came to mind to me is let's put all the trials head-to-head -head in a bracket. I started out by comparing our clopidogrel-based regimens de-escalated either to aspirin monotherapy or clopidogrel monotherapy. Since clopidogrel was one of the first agents available on the market, we have a whole lot of data looking at de-escalation, early de-escalation to aspirin monotherapy at various time points. One study looking at early de-escalation at one month um, was a one-month DAP trial, which didn't show any significant difference in net adverse clinical events. However, it really didn't show much benefit in bleeding outcomes either, with just a trend towards improvement in major bleeding, but not no statistically significant difference. And what's worse is that when you look at the ACS-only population in this trial, there was a trend towards worse net adverse clinical events. Or we also have three trials looking at a three-month duration of clopidogrel-based abdiesclade to aspirin monotherapy. And similarly, these trials didn't find any significant improvement in major bleeding. And one of the trials, RESET, found a trend towards worse net adverse clinical events in the ACS-only population. And finally, we have six trials looking at early de-escalation to monotherapy at six months. And only one of these trials showed any benefit in bleeding outcomes with a, with a number needed to treat a 72 for minor bleeding. And one of the trials, NIPON, actually showed a significant increase in mortality. So when I look at the data for early de-escalation of clopidogrel to aspirin monotherapy as a whole, at best, we see no difference in net adverse clinical events with a very marginal benefit in bleeding. And at worst, we actually see a significant increase in mortality. And for this reason, I don't see early de-escalation to aspirin monotherapy as a very viable option for most patients undergoing PCI. How does this compare to early de-escalation to clopidogrel monotherapy? Well, we have two trials, which both actually showed a significant benefit in bleeding outcomes, and STOPDAP2 actually showed a significant reduction in net adverse clinical events when a reduced DAPT duration regimen was used. However, the STOPDAP2 authors continued to enroll ACS patients so they could power an additional trial to detect differences in that specific patient population. And what that found was a significant increase in ischemic events and a less pronounced benefit in bleeding outcomes. So while early de-escalation of clopidogrel to clopidogrel monotherapy might not be optimal in all patient populations, I still think it clearly has better evidence in early de-escalation of clopidogrel to aspirin. Next, we'll look at our um, evidence for any P2Y12-based apt de-escalated to aspirin monotherapy compared to ticagrelor-based regimens. Similar to our studies looking at early de-escalation from clopidogrel-based apt to aspirin monotherapy, our studies with any P2Y12 agent didn't find any significant benefit in any bleeding outcomes, and SmartDate actually found a significant uh, worse outcome of MI with the reduced staff duration regimen. So again, this option doesn't seem like a super viable strategy for most patients undergoing PCI.
Compare that to our ticagrelor-based regimens, where we have multiple trials, trials showing a significant reduction in bleeding outcomes, and one trial showing a significant reduction in net adverse clinical events. For that reason, I think the clear winner of this matchup is the ticagrelor-based regimens. But now is where things start to get interesting as we compare our clopidogrel-based staff to our ticagrelor-based staff. And we're gonna dive a little bit deeper into some of the studies. Starting out with STOPDAP2, this was a trial that included patients undergoing PCI with a second-gen drug-eluting stent. It excluded patients who had a need for oral anticoagulation or had a history of brain bleed. About 38% of the patients were ACS patients, and about 19% were presenting with STEMI. Patients were randomized to either receive one month of dual antiplatelet therapy, followed by 11 months of clopidogrel monotherapy, or your standard 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy. This trial looked at outcomes at one year, with the primary ischemic endpoint being a composite of cardiovascular death, MI, stent thrombosis, or stroke, with a non-inferiority margin of 2.3%, and the primary bleeding endpoint was TIMI major or minor bleeding. What STOPDAP2 found was that early de-escalation to, to clopidogrel monotherapy at one month was associated with a significant reduction in net adverse clinical events with a number needed to treat 075, and it met non-inferiority to the standard regimen for MACE outcomes or ischemic events. It also found a significant reduction in our various bleeding endpoints, including major bleeding with numbers needed to treat ranging from 79 to 115. However, as I mentioned earlier, these authors continued to enroll ACS-only patients to power an additional study that was later published looking at this patient population. The inclusion-exclusion criteria were the same. The trial intervention was the same, and the outcomes at one year were the same. The only difference is that 100% of these patients were ACS patients, and about three-fourths of them were presenting with STEMI. What stopped at two ACS found was that the shortened duration of early de-escalation to clopidogrel monotherapy at one month failed to meet non-inferiority for net adverse clinical events. One of the secondary ischemic composite endpoints that included need for revascularization was significantly worse with the early de-escalation at one month with a number needed to harm of 90. And as I mentioned before, the bleeding outcomes uh, the benefit in bleeding outcomes was less pronounced with no difference in Timmy major bleeding and number needed to treat for other types of bleeding being well over 100. So here I have a summary of the evidence for early de-escalation to clopidogrel monotherapy. I think early de-escalation at one month is likely a very viable strategy for patients with stable ischemic heart disease, but not necessarily for our ACS patients based on the results of the STOPDAP2 trial. How does this compare to our trials looking at ticagrelor-based regimens? First, we'll talk through TWILIGHT. This was a study that included patients who underwent PCI with placement of a drug-eluting stent and had at least one of the following high-risk features for either high bleed risk or high ischemic risk, which I have listed on the slide. Um, it excluded patients who presented with STEMI or developed a bleed or ischemic event within the first three months. About 64% of the patients presented with ACS and about 60% were presenting with multivessel disease. Patients were randomized to either receive three months of dual antiplatelet therapy, followed by 12 months of ticagrelor monotherapy, or 15 months of dual antiplatelet therapy, which I will note is longer than the minimum duration recommended by the ACC guidelines. This trial looked at outcomes at 15 months, with the primary ischemic endpoint being a composite of all-cause death, MI, or stroke, with a non-inferiority margin of 1.6%, 
And the primary bleeding endpoint was bark type two, three, or five bleeding. What Twilight found is that the reduced duration of ticagrelor therapy followed by 12 months of ticagrelor monotherapy met non-inferiority for the primary ischemic endpoint. And you can see there really wasn't a significant difference in stent thrombosis rates either. It also found a benefit in all of the bleeding outcomes with the outcomes that combined major and minor bleeding having a number needed to treat of 33 and the outcome for major bleeding having a number needed to treat of 100. However, at this point, you might be asking yourself, is, a or is early de-escalation to ticagrelor monotherapy still a good option for ACS-only patients? And that's where the Tyco trial comes into play. This was a trial that included only ACS patients who got a second-gen drug-eluting stent. It excluded patients on oral anticoagulation or had a history of brain bleed. About 36% of the patients were presenting with STEMI and a little over half had multivessel disease. And patients were randomized to receive either three months of DAF followed by nine months of ticagrelor monotherapy or your standard 12, month, 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy. The primary ischemic endpoint was a composite of all-cause death, MI, stent thrombosis, stroke, or need for revascularization. And the primary bleeding endpoint was Timmy major bleeding. What Tycho found was that early de-escalation to ticagrelor monotherapy at three months was associated with a significant reduction in net adverse clinical events with a number needed to treat of 50. There was no significant increase in ischemic events, uh, stent thrombosis or need for target vessel revascularization. And there was also still a benefit in bleeding outcomes, both in Timmy major and minor bleeding and Timmy major bleeding alone. However, one important thing to pull out from this trial is in the subgroup analysis. There is a significant interaction for the effect of multivessel disease on the primary outcome with the presence of patients who did have multivessel disease trending a little bit more towards favoring 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy. While this doesn't necessarily mean that shortened duration of DAP is unsafe in this patient population, I think it is an important safety signal that, is, that can be pulled out from this trial and should be investigated further in the future. So on this slide, I have the comparison of the studies looking at early de-escalation to clopidogrel to the studies looking at early de-escalation to ticagrelor or monotherapy. And I'd like to turn it over to the audience for you guys to, to decide who wins this next matchup. So if you were going to utilize reduced duration of dual antiplatelet therapy, what regimen would you select for a patient undergoing PCI? Would you do a clopidogrel-based regimen or a ticagrelor-based regimen? Okay, it looks like a majority of the audience was choosing a ticagrelor-based regimen, and I, as a whole, I think I would agree that I too would prefer a ticagrelor-based regimen, um, especially in our patient population with ACS only. Um, however, in our patients with stable ischemic heart disease, I think early de-escalation to clopidogrel monotherapy at one month is potentially still a good option. But now we'll flip over to looking at the other side of the bracket uh, and compare six months of shortened uh, a duration of six months to a duration of three months and forgive me as I think the slides got like a little bit um, out of place we'll resume from here um, so here I have the evidence for early de-escalation to monotherapy after six months of dual antiplatelet therapy Unfortunately, all of our studies looking at a six-month duration are also our studies looking at de-escalation to aster monotherapy. So you'll remember we found fairly poor outcomes as far as no real benefit 
in uh, major or minor bleeding with only ISR safe showing a benefit in minor bleeding with a number needed to treat a 72. And in two of our studies, we saw significantly worse ischemic outcomes with Nipon showing a significant increase in mortality with reduced duration DAP and SMART date showing a significant increase in myocardial infarction re with reduced duration DAP. Compare that to our studies looking at a three-month DAP duration, where we have multiple studies showing a significant improvement in bleeding outcomes, Tycho showing a significant reduction in net adverse cl clinical events, um, and not a whole lot of increase in ischemic events. So for that reason, I think the clear winner of that matchup is three months of DAP. But now is where we get into probably the most interesting matchup of the day, comparing three months to one month. You'll remember back to the ACC guideline update where they added in a recommendation to consider switching to P2I12 monotherapy at one to three months. However, they didn't give a clear recommendation for one duration over another. So we'll have to dive into the evidence ourselves. On this slide, I have the, a summary of the trials looking at a one month duration adapt before de-escalation to monotherapy. And you'll remember we talk, talked through the STOP-DAP2 trials where in stable ischemic heart disease patients, um, there was a significant improvement in major and minor bleeding and also a significant improvement in net adverse clinical events. However, when we flip to looking at our ACS only population, there was a significant increase in ischemic events and it failed to meet non-inferiority for net adverse clinical events. However, these were trials looking at clopidogrel. And you'll remember that earlier, a lot of us said we might prefer a ticagrel or base regimen. So I'd like to dive a little bit deeper into our one study looking at early de-escalation to ticagrel or monotherapy after one month of DAP. Global Leaders was a trial that included adult patients with any clinical indication for PCI. It excluded patients who had a need for anticoagulation, had prior stent thrombosis, or had a history of brain bleed. About 13% of the patients were presenting with STEMI and about a quarter had multivessel disease. Patients were randomized to receive either one month of dual antiplatelet therapy followed by 23 months of ticagrel or monotherapy or your standard 12 months of dual antiplatelet therapy followed by 12 months of aspirin monotherapy. This trial looked at outcomes at two years with the primary ischemic endpoint being a composite of all-cause death or MI and the primary bleeding endpoint being BARC type three or five bleeding. Interestingly, this trial didn't show any significant difference between the two groups in ischemic outcomes with no difference in MACE, stent thrombosis, or need for target vessel revascularization, and also no significant difference in bleeding outcomes. So what I can pull from this is early de-escalation to ticagrel or monotherapy at one month is likely safe, but it's not clear that you're getting any real benefit out of it. Interestingly, if you go into the supplemental index and look at outcomes at one year, they did find a significant difference in MACE at one year, favoring the one-month regimen with a number needed to treat of 193. However, it's questionable how clinically relevant this is given the high number needed to treat and the fact that the effect wasn't still seen at two years. And I'll also note that there wasn't any significant difference in bleeding outcomes at one year either. So now I have a slide with all the evidence for one month of DAP compared to the evidence for all the trials looking at three months of DAP. And I think it's important since we identified that we might prefer a ticagrelor based regimen to look specifically at our trials de-escalating to ticagrelor monotherapy. We see that early de-escalation at one month really didn't show any difference in bleeding outcomes um, and showed maybe a marginal benefit in ischemic outcomes at one year compared to our trials 
uh, looking at early de-escalation at three months, which showed a significant benefit in both major and minor bleeding, and also a reduction in net adverse clinical events in the Tyco trial, even when we were looking at specifically an ACS population. And this brings us back to our image from earlier in the presentation, where for the first one month after stent placement, it seems pretty clear that ischemic risk outweighs bleed risk. However, between that one to three month mark, bleed risk and ischemic risk are somewhat comparable. So you might need to look at patient specific factors if you were gonna favor one duration over another. And then after three months, bleed risk starts to outweigh ischemic risk, which is why you're seeing more and more studies looking at this idea of a reduced duration of DAPT. And you might start to see a change in that primary recommendation in the guidelines of 12 months of therapy. So, but with the evidence available to us right now, comparing three months to one month, I think for most patients, I prefer a three-month regimen, especially if we're talking about specifically using a ticagrelor-based regimen. However, I'd be interested to see what the audience thinks with our last assessment question, which is what dual antiplatelet therapy regimen and duration would you recommend for an ACS patient with single vessel disease undergoing PCI, assuming they're at standard bleed risk and standard ischemic risk? And remember, you can always recommend the standard 12-month duration or even longer if you would like. Nobody wants to go with the standard 12-month duration? Well, I see genomics to guide P2Y12 therapy. Mm -hmm. Anybody else want to put an answer in before we move on? I think with the evidence that we've shown today, it would be very reasonable to de-escalate to ticagrelor monotherapy after three months. However, I think with the current guidelines giving us stronger recommendations to 12 months ADAPT, it might be something of a liability to start recommending short and duration DAPT for all patients. For a future direction for research, I would be really interested to see reduced DAPT regimens with prasigrel monotherapy, or even comparing three months of ticagrelor to 12 months of prasigrel after the results of the ICER REACT trial showing that 12 months of prasigrel therapy was superior to 12 months of ticagrelor therapy. Um, some key takeaways I think we can take from the current reduced duration DAP literature. I think in our ACS patients specifically, um, it would be best to recommend three months of dual antiplatelet therapy followed by ticagrelor monotherapy if you do use reduced duration DAP. And this comes from comparing our Tyco trial looking at ACS only patients to our STOPDAP2 ACS looking at only ACS patients with clopidogrel, where STOPDAP2 ACS showed significant worse outcomes with clopidogrel, whereas Tyco maintained its benefit with ticagrelor monotherapy at three months. For our stable ischemic heart disease patients, I do think that one month of dual antiplatelet therapy followed by clopidogrel monotherapy is likely a reasonable option. And that comes from the overall population of STOPDAP2. I think that in multivessel disease patients, right now we have an unclear risk-benefit ratio of reduced duration DAPT, and that's pulling from the subgroup analysis in the Tyco trial, which showed a significant interaction for the effect of multivessel disease. And finally, I think further trials are needed to determine the optimal DAPT duration in our high bleed risk patients. All of the studies we talked through in depth today were looking at all comers. There's only one trial or one randomized controlled trial I know of to date looking at shortened duration DAPT in high bleed risk patients, and that's MasterDAPT. And with some of the methodology, some of the methodology used in that trial, it kind of left me with more questions than answers. So I think this is a patient population that needs to be further studied. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.